Hi, this is Ruth Elizabeth Hancock, host of Work Your Energy podcast. And this week, we have Stephen Hawley Martin, who is the author of more than three dozen books and the editor and publisher of Oakley Press. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Welcome. Hi, Elizabeth. I'm so happy to be here. Can't wait to get talking with you about things. Yeah, yeah. We seem to have a, a definitely um, an area of interest, you know, with when we were discussing this before. And um, I'm really excited to start asking you some questions and get your opinions about things. Yeah, good. Well, I'm ready to go. Okay. All right. So um, one of the things that I was really interested to talk to you about more is the Edgar Casey work, because I know that he has obviously, you know, there's just thousands of um, books and, and things about his work and him. And he was um, a psychic who was literally like helping people with their health issues. But he also talked a lot about human origins, Atlantis, Lemuria, things like this. And this is my area of interest because it's what I'm currently researching for my next book. And I really wanted to, you know, sort of talk with you about the Atlantis Lemuria thing. I mean, first of all, you know, do you do you believe in Atlantis and Lemuria? Is that something that you believe in yourself? Oh, absolutely. I think that these America, the civilization of human civilization goes back much farther than than our textbooks today tell us. And uh, that Atlantis, Lemuria were places. And Edgar Casey, uh, Edgar Casey was able to tap into what uh, he called the Akashic records, which I kind of visualize as being the the cloud in today's. Uh, terminology as far as the internet goes or or the hard drive on a on a master computer that keeps every, every all the information that's ever ever taken place uh, that is there and he was able to go into a self-induced trance where he could access that information he also got his information from other places and by the way if your uh, listeners and viewers aren't uh, familiar with Edgar Casey, he lived between uh, 1877 and 1945. And he was known as the sleeping prophet. And more than 14,000 of his uh, psychic readings uh, were recorded and are available. I believe you could actually get a CD that has them all on it at the Association for Research and Enlightenment in Virginia Beach, which is the uh, <clears throat> is the place that houses all of that and is, uh, Great. I've been down there a number of times. I live in Richmond, Virginia, so it's only a couple of hours away. And I've interviewed the top people from that organization, including more than almost 20 years ago, I interviewed uh, Edgar Casey's son, Edgar Evans Casey, who at the time was 95 years old and had, had sat in a number of the uh, readings with his father when he was giving them. And as you said, Edgar Casey's main thing was to help people solve uh, medical issues that doctors weren't able to to uh, cure at that time. And uh, he's known as sort of the father of holistic medicine. But about 2,000 of his 14,000 uh, 
psychic readings were what are called life readings. And one of the things that came out of them was uh, reincarnation, which is something that uh, Edgar Casey himself, the man, did not believe in. He was a very devout Christian, a Presbyterian. And uh, when he started talking about in trance about reincarnation, and the reason it came up is that a number of people who asked for help had problems which actually stemmed from prior lives. So that came out in the readings when they asked, you know, why do I have claustrophobia? Why am I afraid of snakes? Why am I afraid of water? Well, it's because they drowned in a previous life or something like that. So uh, he, that upset him and he read through the Bible. As I said, he was, a, he was a Sunday school teacher and a very devout Christian. And he realized that reincarnation is all throughout the Bible. They just don't call it that. Elijah, for example, was uh, uh, John the Baptist. That's Jesus said Elijah was John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist lived 400 years after Elijah, so he had to be the reincarnation. But anyway, to answer your question, uh, which I think was, do I believe in Muria and uh, Atlantis? Absolutely. And I think that probably the flood is what destroyed Atlanta. And as you know, at the end of the Ice Age, uh, there were floods all around the world because the ice melted and it kind of pooled on the top of the glaciers. And when the glaciers broke and the floods came, it, uh, it submerged lots of cities that were around the coastline, which are now about 300 meters down. That's how much the level of the ocean rose because of the melting ice. So yes, uh, to answer your question, <laughs> long answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I mean, I'm researching all of that area that uh, that period between the in in the the younger Dryas period, Correct. and that's there were at least two floods. One of them uh, a very very large one, and um, nine thousand six hundred BC, which is probably the the exact same time that also finished off Atlantis. So my understanding is that Atlantis actually went in three stages if you like, and it sort of just kept sort of disappearing more and more and more as more sort of um, earthquakes and, and you know, little mini floods and things like this. And so by the time we got to 9,600 BC, that's when it just completely sank. And um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of evidence behind this global flood, a lot, a lot of scientific, you know, ge And practically every civilization has, has flood uh myths or whatever you want to call them so I mean it's not just the Christian Bible that uh, talks about the flood it's yes absolutely yeah, <clears throat> yeah I, in the work I know uh, Graham Hancock in his book Fingerprints of the Gods he talks about something like there's like more than 500 flood stories in every culture around the world and you know rather than thinking this is just one flood although there definitely was one big flood it's possibly lots of little floods as well. But um, so that leads me on to when Edgar Casey was talking about the human origins and sort of how we started out as spiritual beings, as spirits. We didn't have physical form at that time. We actually manifested our physical form over thousands and thousands of years until eventually we sort of became physical beings ourselves. And before that, we were possibly, our consciousness was maybe housing the animals until we could eventually manifest our own 
human form and then our consciousness could then enter into the human form and then you know where we are today and we're obviously now in in today's world we're a very materialistic world we've completely forgotten about this spiritual um origin if you like and how we ended up as physical beings so maybe you could talk a little bit more about that because i think this area is really interesting yeah edgar casey said that uh, basically we always were that we were we are in, in essence sparks of the creator that uh, have were interested in exploring we had free will and we found this uh, solar system and the earth to be an interesting place and decided to force our way into it uh, really not something that god expected god or the creator the source I don't like to use the word God usually because it conjures up a man with a long white beard, and that's not what he is. It's uh, really the consciousness that that it everything comes from is God, the the one mind, and we are part of that one mind. And we are, uh, according to K Casey, we we wanted to experience this three D reality that we're in now. Uh, as these spiritual beings, but we didn't have a vehicle to do that. Today, of course, our vehicle is our our physical body, that we, and we come into this reality through our mother's womb. But back then, there was nothing really like that. Not no human body did not exist, and so we actually forced our way into um, animals. Like, and and there are lots of myths you know, about uh, uh, satyrs and uh, centaurs and all these different animals that are mixtures between the, the mixtures between animals and, and humans, and that those actually did really exist at one time, according to Casey. But eventually, uh, a body was formed or created through genetics for the human to occupy. And it's been modified and so forth over the over the millennia to what we have today and it continues to be according to Casey modified and in fact as we as we uh, remember who we are what we are that we are sparks of the creator that we're we're uh, spiritual beings are having a temporary physical experience we are spiritual beings having a a uh, physical experience that yeah. we our bodies will continue to change and we'll, we're headed toward having what he called light bodies which is more less dense than what we have now and we'll be able to uh, because our consciousness will be raised so in effect what we're here to do now we have as you said forgotten who we are we're here now to remember who we are and mm -hmm. that we are all part of one life that is manifesting in many ways on this earth and everywhere around the, the universe. And there are many universes. That's a, he said that too. This is just one of many. Yes, oh, I definitely believe that as well. So what you're saying here is very interesting because I've been, obviously my, like many researchers, I've been you know reading the cuneiform tablets, the Mesopotamian texts, and they talk a lot about this Anunnaki people 
who supposedly created humans, you know, or genetically modified humans, if you like, genetically engineered humans and made physical genetic changes to us, which then resulted in Cro-Magnon man, you know, Homo sapiens sapiens, if you like. But these Anunnaki, according to Zachariah Sitchin, came here 450,000 years ago which does seem a very long time for them to then come up in records, because I'm sure in that in those hundreds of thousands of years, a lot has happened in our world, not least things like, you know, Lemuria, Hyperborea, Atlantis, you know, there have been many, many civilizations, the um, the indigenous tribes talk about different worlds and how this, we're now in our fourth or fifth world, depending, you know, if you're looking at the, the Mayans or the Aztecs, and how our world has, if you like, civilization has fallen, and then it's been recreated and brought back. So what are your thoughts about these cuneiform tablets, the Anunnaki who talk about genetically modifying us? Um, is this something which has sort of happened? You know, are there extraterrestrials modifying us? Edgar Casey talks about us being just genetically altered time and time again, is this evolution or the morphic field doing this, or is this actual extraterrestrials, you know, founder races, cedar races doing this? What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think the Anunnaki probably did exist, but it, and, and probably, you know, the legend is on that, as far as I can recall, that they actually modified us to be their servants and to do the work that whatever they came here to, to do you know mining materials or whatever and uh, but i think that from what edgar casey said that we really go back much farther than just 450,000 years uh, certainly millions of years and that we have gone through many forms and of course just the uh, the biological record shows now that there were how many different forms of human beings all living here at the same time just, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand years ago, that uh, Homo sapiens sapien is now the only human kind of human being that exists. But there were, you know, Cro, Cro Magnon was Homo sapiens sapien, but he lived alongside uh, Neanderthals and Denisovan. Yeah, I think that, that there's probably truth to that legend, but it's not the only uh explanation and uh, and i'm not sure where i come down on it what do you think well you know in my research so i i'm i'm seeing that homo erectus you know he sort of seems to be the first human um and from the research i'm finding we can date him back to two million years ago but in fact he looked so varied we can't pinpoint him and say that you know he looks like this sort of upright walking ape because he really, really didn't. He was as varied as we are. Um, we can also see that the Aborigines, they um, they still had the Homo erectus traits in them right up until 10,000 years ago. So Homo erectus was definitely around. And, you know, the fact that they were so that they were so different looking, you know, makes me think that we were already different species, different species of human back then. And, you know, then there's the work of David Reich, and he talks about ghost ancestors. And I think he's probably referring to, you know, a lot earlier. 
but we can he can see in our in our DNA that the we've just got tens of thousands, as he calls it, ghost ancestors coming up in our DNA of the different, you know, sort of um tribes, if you like, that no longer are showing in our DNA because they're so ancient. And I feel that we just really do go back millions of years ago. When you look at the the oldest texts, the Hindu texts, they date us back to four million years ago. You know, they wouldn't just think of, you know, think of a number and double it. You know, that has to be based on something. And um, my thoughts are that the cuneiform tablets, what they're talking about there, I do think this happened. But I also think that these are tablets that were recorded much later by the winners of the wars. And in a sense, they were written in a way to make certain individuals and certain people look more grandiose, more important than they possibly were. I think that the Anunnaki is just one civilization and there have been many other civilizations. I do think that they've come from other planets. I think that we lived alongside other extraterrestrials, other races. We were doing this for a very, very, very long time. It was completely normal to us. And then something changed. Um, a few thousand years ago, and we've just become stuck inside this, if you like, this sort of 3D matrix, this, you know, this very, very linear way of thinking, of looking at things. And we've totally forgotten all about these ancient civilizations, the, you know, the we've forgotten who we were, how we fit into it all. And we're now so limited in our thinking, you know, we really think that we evolved from apes, and this is all there has been. And, you know, we're, we're now like the pinnacle of success of, you know, the primate species. You know, it's just it's so limited, so limited. And I think of what they're teaching children today and children are just just sort of stuck in t inside this tiny little box, believing that they're this, you know, evolved mammal. Yeah, well, you're absolutely correct. And I think that that's changing, though, I, I believe. You know, I've been at this now for about 30, maybe even longer. I, I had a, an out-of-body experience when I was 25, which up until that point, I thought that all that existed was material substance. I was, I was raised in a scientific materialist uh, kind of environment, and when, that's what I was taught in school. And then when I had this out-of-body experience and saw myself lying on the bed looking like a roadkill, I thought, gee whiz, you know. I thought I was my body, but I'm not my body. I'm, I'm up here by the ceiling looking down at my body. And that started me on this quest. And I joined the Rosicrucian Society. And, of course, that's a society of mystics who study metaphysical law. And then I went through their whole all their courses and became an adept. From, and they do know what's going on. They know all the things we're talking about. And uh, they've known them for thousands of years. It's according to their, uh, according to their propaganda or whatever you want to call it. Anyway, so people like, uh, oh, in the United States, it would be uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin was a Rosicrucian. He he knew all that. He believed in reincarnation. Uh, so anyway, um, I guess the point is that, yeah, I think you're right. We're we have been taught in school, and it's been going on now since probably the 17th century, if not before, that the only thing that exists is material substance, 
And uh, and if you want, I can tell you my theory about how, how all that came about. But uh, what it does, we've developed egos and we developed them for a reason as, as we were, you know, living, we started inhabiting physical bodies. We had to protect ourselves from being killed. And so we developed this ego that has fear and, and uh, protects itself and is worried about what's going to happen tomorrow and whether I'm going to have enough to eat and whether the lion is going to come and drag my children away or whatever. And so we develop that ego that makes us think we're separate from everything. And we're not separate. We are, we are sparks of the divine that are all part of this one life that is here on this planet. Everything from the trees and the flowers and the uh, animals in the forest. And here we are. I mean, that's all, that's life that's uh, come into this reality expressing itself and we came in the, into this reality to experience it and now we've become sort of trapped in it because we think we're separate individuals and that our that we are our bodies and we're not our bodies our body is like a uh, diving suit that allows us to go under the water and work down there well this body is our diving suit that allows us to come into this 3d reality and experience it but we need to realize that that's not who we are so there you go. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. No, I completely um, I completely agree with that. And actually, more and more people that I'm speaking to really do believe the we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. I suppose for my um, the, the area of interest for me is much more about human origins and um, how did we get to where we are here from a physical point of view. And looking at all the genetic changes that are still happening to our bodies. I mean, children are being born with, you know, just, I mean, genetic changes, basically changes to their DNA. And um, you know, this has been that there are um, scientists who are documenting this, you know, scientists who are not scared of losing their career over it are documenting these things. Um, and I think you're right, you know, more and more. More people are sort of coming forward to say these things, but it really makes me think, okay, so if there are physical genetic changes, which William Brown from the laboratory of Nassim Haramein says are happening in utero, then who is making these changes? Is it just the morphic field? Is it pansper panspermia theory? Or are there actually, you know, extraterrestrials making genetic changes in whilst we're in the womb, which is what so many people are now believing to be the case. You know, I think extraterrestrials are definitely exist and that they're, they're kind of hovering around waiting for us to wake up. And some are coming through uh, in by being channeled by people and giving us information. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the raw material that was channeled. Yes. Back early 80s. But uh, that's really very interesting. But to answer your question, is it uh, the, the field that it's doing, the matrix, the, the one mind? I tend to think probably that rather than extraterrestrials, you know, like knocking, <laughs> engineering <laughs> us. Uh, because what I go back to is take the DNA molecule, for example, for life to have come about at all, we had to have a DNA molecule. And the DNA molecule is 
in every in this in the nucleus of every cell in our bodies and if you and as you know it's a double helix formation and it in effect is digital information that tells uh, the cell when and how to make proteins and if you were to stretch that dna molecule out it would be two meters long six feet six inches long and it's all DNA, it's all uh, digital information. Everybody's seen a printout of uh, DNA. And so how did that happen when there was no life here at all? It had to be this one mind somehow created that. And that's, that's certainly what uh, the quantum physicist, the guy who invented quantum physics, uh, physicist, uh, physics uh, Max Planck thought. He thought that First of all, that consciousness is uh, fundamental, that everything comes from consciousness, and that there had to be a mind behind that because everything is digital. Everything is energy. Uh, the idea of the matrix is, is very true. I mean, it may not be uh, some sinister group that's got us, you know, like that movie in, in tanks, you know, be thinking we're really not. But it is the one mind that has got all of us created it all. And, uh, yeah, I think that uh, it's got to be the one mind that's doing it. That's where I come down on it anyway. Well, maybe our collective consciousness is doing it. So the, the, the thing, the question I'm always asking, though, is that children come in, you know, quite awake and becoming more and more awake. But then they get also trapped into the collective consciousness, which is, you know, is is collecting you know, sort of trapped into that societal conditioning, if you like, you know, of materialism. And what we're showing our children and the films that they're watching and things like this, it's again trapping their mind into this um, state that just this materialistic state, you know. And I do think that there is a, a dark agenda there. I do believe that there are some people people in our world who have they have descended from ancestors from people who have actually been here for hundreds of thousands of years uh, well maybe not hundreds but it, um i think in the work of benjamin fulford he traces them back to maybe as far back as seventy-five thousand years ago so if there are a group of people which we call the elites today i believe who have been here for seventy-five thousand years they understand how all of this works and they're able, if you like, to harness the consciousness. So I do think that everything is, is consciousness. It, 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 it underpins the subatomic field as well. And if, if there are some people who know how to harness this consciousness, then they know how to control us. They know how to control the people who don't understand it. And I do, I do think that there are some people around who are doing that. We are now trying to break out of that. And as more and more of us sort of wake up to this, if you like, this social conditioning, which you know has programmed us into a very linear and materialistic way of thinking, we're now beginning to break out more and more of that. However, just to go back, there was um, when I was looking at the work of Caroline Corey, and she is also a researcher, a consciousness researcher, and she on on her latest film. She had on there, which is called Amongst, uh, Among Us, she had on there 
that there was a geneticist from Stanford University who has who's talking about how our hu- human DNA can be traced back nine billion years. And of course, our planet has only been here for four and a half billion years, which means that our human DNA can be traced back to before this planet came around. There was some um, recent research that I think I just read like about three, four days ago, which actually is now saying that they think they may have found proof of planet Earth having physical um, proof of coming from another planet or that there there was a big impact. So there has been an, an impact between our Earth and another planet. And, you know, of course, we look at the stories in the Bible around Tiamat and things like this, the cuneiform tablets, they talk very much about that's how our world came into being. And that's why we're such a young planet, because we are the leftovers of another huge planet called Tiamat. And that also then went on to form the asteroid belt. There's also... um, you know, other sort of, because it's the physical evidence that I find really interesting. I understand the spiritual stuff behind it, and I totally agree what Edgar Casey was talking about, but it's, I think we are at a point, we're living in such a materialistic world, in such a material world, and nobody, people need material proof, material evidence. And I think that's the thing that I'm really coming up against with people is that everyone wants material physical proof of things we haven't had physical proof of anything up until now now there are these scientists coming forward and they're saying well what about this and what about this and what about this and we're now in the the era of information where this all this information is coming out and it's so interesting because it's showing us that humans have not come from this planet so how does that relate to primates? You know, so were we uh, uh, humans, were we Homo erectus, a spiritual being having a spiritual and physical experience? And then the Anunnaki came and genetically altered us and turned us into Cro-Magnum or Homo sapiens sapiens. Um, you know, how does that fit into the physical world that we have today? What about these genetic changes that are just that are still occurring, still occurring? Like we've had now um, in the work of Mary Rodwell, she talks about Alfie, a baby born in 2016, who was born with three strands of, of DNA. Francis Crick, also the Nobel Prize winner, also talks about us originally having three strands of DNA and one strand was, you know, taken off or disappeared or, you know, or cut or whatever it may be. Um, and that may be the genetic changes that were, were made to us in order to turn us into a worker species. There's also um, the insertion of 223 uh, genetic changes that were, that were put in as a sideways insertion, which has come from the laboratory of Nassim Haramein. You know, all these changes that are coming out the the golden blood that now is in 43 people around the world. Like, it's just really interesting, all these physical changes that are, are happening in our bodies. Um, and what's your take on this? You know, I mean, I know you said it's the morphic field, but is well, it move into ascension, do you think? Yeah, I think it's the ascension. I, I uh, what, what your conversation there reminded me of is the, the raw material. Uh, the material that was 
channeled back in the early 80s, 82 through 84. I think there are five books out there uh, that are that are of that channeled information, the law of one. And what Ra said, Ra was a, described himself or themselves as a, as a social memory complex. They were a complete civilization that, that had combined into one entity. Of course, each one of the individuals in that entity had their own consciousness as well. But what Ra said was, in, in regards to what you're talking about, that in 2012, the, this planet would, would begin to enter the fourth density. And the fourth density, uh, well, I guess I have to explain a little bit about densities. The first density is just matter, you know, earth, wind, and fire with no life. That would be the earth when it was a molten, you know, rock flying around the sun. Second density is life, movement, uh, but without self-awareness, you know, animals, plants, and so forth, without uh, uh, human beings or self-sentient beings. Third density is uh, where we are now, where we're we have uh, we're able to think about things like you know we're talking about today. You know, why are we here? What's it all about? And uh, and but we still think that we're separate from each other, that we're not all one life, which is what we are. And fourth density is when we realize that we're all one. And we, uh, in third density, at the end of third density, which is where we are at the beginning of fourth, we need to make a choice between uh, service to self or service to others. And service to self will go on their way somewhere else and service to uh, others will go on together, hopefully on this planet, where we realize we're all one and, you know, love and understanding is prevails and we continue to evolve. And one of the things that, that uh, Ra said was that when we enter fourth density, it's going to take a long time. I think it's something like 90,000 years, but we will uh, develop these light bodies that are less dense and which enables us to uh, achieve higher levels of consciousness and tap into the the uh, field, so to speak, kind of like Edgar Casey was able to do. So it seems to me that what's happening is we're going through a period of chaos. Uh, Ra said that the 2012 was the delineation when we would have be 51 percent into fourth density. And uh, that's not because so many people are, but because there are enough fairly enlightened people that raises the overall de- uh, vibration of the planet and that the those changes would take place. So if raw is correct, it kind of goes along with what you're saying, but this, this materialistic view is going to change. And I've seen it change over the last 20 to 30 years that I've been at this. When I first put out a book, my first book about metaphysics, I had people screaming bloody murder that I was like, you know, coming from the devil or something. And it doesn't happen anymore. You know, I get very few one-star views just because people disagree with me. Almost none. Uh, I get, and I get many, many more five-star reviews. 
Uh, most of my metaphysical books are at least 4.5 stars on Amazon. So I've just seen it change, and I think that's the way we're headed. I, and I hope I'm right. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think we're definitely heading that way, definitely. Um, yeah, you know, I. The, it's interesting what you're saying about the service to self and service to others, and the service to self ones will go, and obviously they will not be able to move beyond 4D. Because no, they'll they, be able to move beyond 4D. They won't. They won't go into 4D. They will skip it because they don't. They are not interested in helping others. But mm-hmm. at, according to Ra, when they reach 6D, they have to revert to service to self, or they or they're stuck. Okay. All right. So they're they allowed. Will. Okay. Yeah, so my understanding is that they 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 can't get beyond like uh, four and a half D, um, but maybe that's densities, you know. So the density is the energy, you know, and the sort of if you like the more matter, less energy, more energy, less matter, that sort of thing. And we're moving up through densities. Um, yeah, it has to do with consciousness, yeah, Con- the and the vibration level that yeah. you're able to achieve higher consciousness in the higher densities because you're you vibrate accordingly to the uh to whatever fourth density is and yeah third density is according to ra the shortest time frame of of all the densities and that we're we're at the end of I i went to see the musical hair on broadway Back when it was there, about 1968, I was very young at the time. And, uh, you know, I remember uh, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. And that's what it is. We are moving from Pisces into Aquarius. Pisces being the fish, which, of course, is associated with Jesus and Christ. And uh, uh, Aquarius being the water bearer. And, you know, water is... is uh like in the bible at least it's it's life it's uh what gives life so mm. uh, i think those things are all connected you know that we are moving in to a new age and I, I i hope i come back as a fourth density being next time yes yeah so where does that you know lead us in terms of reincarnation so i've i've heard lots of people say that now the 3D matrix, the the matrix has lifted and we can now incarnate out of this reality. We can now escape this matrix and we can move on into, you know, into other planets or dimensions or whatever. Um, This happened, you know, 2014, I understand. And um, how does that sort of you know, where does that leave our ascension now? Because I hear people saying that it's happening in the next 10 years. I think that this is, you know, a very small time frame. I think possibly in the next 10 years, a lot of changes will happen in our world in terms of politics and economics and finance and these sorts of things. Our social structures will start changing in the next 10 years. But I think in terms of ascension, I understand that this is probably going to take another 200 to 300 years because it's taking that long until we actually get properly into Aquarius. Well, according to Ra, it's 90,000 years. Yes, it's interesting that you said that. And, uh, you know, I don't think everybody's going to 
that's around today is going to be able to do that. I, I think that uh, you, one of the things Ross says is, you, first of all, you have to you need to make the choice. Are you going to be service to self or are you going to be service to others? And you need to make that conscious choice. I've made it. I'm going to be service to others. I, I feel that I am already. But, uh, you know, not everybody is going to be aware enough to even know that they need to make a choice and uh, that, that they need to open their mind and, and, and understand that they're all part of one life. And uh, I just don't, you know, and there are a lot of people alive today that aren't going to get there. They yeah. don't have enough left. To be honest, most people I meet are service to others. You know, maybe because I've been working in the coaching field for, you know, 30 years. Um, I do tend to meet service to others people. I don't tend to meet the service to self. I think, I know, I think that there are a much smaller pot than we believe. Well, according to Raw, there are only 5%. 95% yeah. uh, service to others, 5% service to self. But I think there are a lot of politicians. At yeah, least I was thinking politicians. <laughs> In this country that are service to self. Yeah, but it's interesting that that 5% is also, you know, we also have 5% um, psychopaths in the world, you know, and it's it's interesting because obviously the psychopathic nature is that they do not possess that empathy. You know, it's like it's not physically part of them. So in a sense, they will never be able to become service to others because they just don't live in that reality. They're just not made in that way. Correct. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. It's also, when I was interviewing um, Betty Kovac, um, and she also talked about the rise of Amethia, and um, I'm not pronouncing it correctly, and I, when I do the notes, I'll, I'll find the correct spelling because it's a very odd word. But apparently that this has been rising in our world over the past few decades, and it's essentially a disorder where the hormones cannot reach the the heart or the mind or something. So it's it means that the heart is um, is less compassionate. We it, the the result is it creates a, a a less compassionate person, and that's now apparently risen up to ten percent of the population. And this, you know, this is something which, again, is interesting because it shows that this part, this 5%, has now risen to 10%. And that's a very interesting concept in itself because it's it's sort of asking the question, okay, if 10% of our world are in that service to self because they don't have that compassion, but this is a disorder that has happened throughout their life, which means that it can be unpicked. If, if it was created, it can be uncreated by them and their mind because it's their mind which has become less compassionate, which has actually physically affected the heart. Yeah, well, that's the fourth density, according to Ra, is the heart chakra. That's you operate out of the heart chakra. Yeah. So that would make sense. And the service to self jumps over that into the whatever's the next chakra up. But uh, yeah, that, that I did. I wasn't aware of that. That's interesting information. But I, you know, I'm optimistic. I think we're going to get there. I, I think th it's hard for me to believe that that the 
there could be an Illuminati or whatever that really isn't operation. Although there's some people I could see would definitely be part of that. Uh, I won't mention any names because it gets into politics, but uh, that it's just, you know, think how long it took for uh, humans to realize that the sun was at the center of the solar system. It took at least a hundred years between uh, Kepler and uh, uh, Copernicus. Uh, that was a hundred year span right there. And then after Copernicus, it probably took another hundred years before people realized, even though they could see it in a telescope, that the sun was at the center of the universe. It just takes a long time to, to get people who are stuck on something unstuck. They have to really kind of die off. And I think that's the, the professors who are teaching scientific materialism have stopped commenting on my books. And I think that the, the, when they die off, it'll the whole thing is going to change. And, it, yeah. and I don't know how quickly it'll happen, but it's going to happen because it's just too obvious that they're wrong. Yeah, well, I agree with you, but I, I actually, I, I'm, I, I do speak to some children who totally believe everything that their teachers say, and their teachers are still teaching information as fact rather than opinion. And that is something which can be so easily rectified in schools. All the teacher has to say is, this is not fact. It is our opinion. It is theory. They just don't say it. That's all they have to say. Um, yeah. And that in itself would allow these children to just break out of the conditioning of their own mind, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, when you when you trace back and you really research the information around the Illuminati and the Freemasons and these secret societies, of which there are many, many, many secret societies, they have them, they have their own in China, you know, each country has their own. Um, I've been researching this for a while. You, the Illuminatis are traced back to the Khazarian Mafia. And these are a civilization, a tribe of people, you know, outside Russia, near the Ukraine, where they actually did live. And these people were always known as, you know, bad ones. You know, they were just like badens, if you like. They were always starting fights, always creating wars. And then again, when you look at their practices and their rituals, they were obviously practicing some sort of what we would call today satanic ritual, you know, like worshipping some sort of energy source or some something which isn't of the light, you know, it is more of the dark. And when you look um, also, one of the other things that I've been looking at um, in research from my current book is the information around um, magic. So there has now been a um in europe they uh, one of the universities has now is now putting something like three and a half million euros into researching how and when magic came into our world because it actually can be traced back so far and so where did this magic come from you know obviously there are certain people who understand the laws of nature the laws of physics they they know that if they practice ritual in a certain way they get a certain outcome and this i think is what we call the illuminati and they've obviously been around for a really long time because you can trace this back a really long time and they're possibly the ones who brought the magic or the knowledge of magic which is just advanced technology i believe 
into this world. And they've been practicing this behind the scenes. If they are a service to self type of civilization, they're going to want to keep this information to themselves and not share it with the masses. And they're using this type of ritual or energy management to create more success for them. And I think that's all the Illuminati is. Well, you may be absolutely right. Um, One of my ancestors, my seven times great grandmother, was one of the Salem witches. She was hanged as a witch in 1692. And I wrote a book about her. And of course, uh, it's the witches were thought to be in cahoots with Satan, who allowed them to work magic. And I think their problem, there were 19 women hanged and one man who was hanged and one man who was crushed to death uh, in that uh, hysteria that took place in Massachusetts. And I've done the research. I've read all the trial records. I've read all the depositions. I've read all the lo- the, the uh, contemporary reports of the, that time. And my conclusion is that uh, there were a couple of people who were probably witches and were practicing magic and believed that they were in cahoots with Satan, uh, uh, only one of whom was actually executed. The other one admitted to it. And so once you admitted to it, you didn't get executed. Um, and But what strikes me is how little science was known at that time. They didn't know that uh, germs or uh, even existed or that they caused illness. They thought it was because of a curse by a witch or somebody else or that God was punishing them or something like that. I mean, so um, I do think that magic is real. From what I've studied, I believe it has to do with belief. You know, uh, all things are possible for him who believes. I think that's a true statement. Uh, So you could be absolutely right. But from my study of the 17th century and what was going on, the people were so ignorant about what was really (laughs) caused their cow to drop dead that uh, it's no wonder that that uh, they accused witches of doing it. But uh, and, and the, at that time, really, that's when the whole materialistic thing started. Uh, an Englishman named Thomas Hobbes, uh, rebelling against the idea of witches and witchcraft and magic, uh, said that um, if God created it, then that's all there was. And so God created the world, and so that's all there is, and there is no other dimension or what the people of Massachusetts called, you know, the unseen world where uh, devils and uh, angels and so on and so forth existed, which does exist, by the way, but they said it didn't. And that was latched onto by intellectuals of the time and that developed the uh, idea of the great clockmaker theater, theist uh, de- uh, clockmaker idea that God created the universe, wound it up, let it go, and it's no longer involved. It's called deism. Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, others were uh, proponents of that. that. That's the age of enlightenment. 
And then, of course, you roll into the uh, 19th century and along comes Darwin, who says, you know, that it's uh, random mutations, which seems awfully hard to create a DNA molecule with random mutations. But uh, the intellectuals latched on to that and got, could get rid of God altogether. So now we're still in that 19th century paradigm where all that exists is material substance and, and it's got to go because it's obviously incorrect. Yeah, and we're still teaching this to our children. 200 years old information. We're Correct. still teaching to our children in school. So how do we break out of this? I mean, I think it's just insane. And they're still teaching it at university. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, there are dinosaurs who have invested a lot of information. I mean, dinosaur scientists who have in, who have invested, you know, a lot of their career and their their theories and everything on on the top of Darwin or Darwinism, and they don't want to let that go because if they let that go, that's their whole career gone. And I can see that. But we're talking two hundred years. Surely these people must have died by now. <laughs> well, uh, they're dying off, and they will die off. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it is. It's, it's it's incredible, but it's true, and it's it's for some of them. It is a religion. I've I had a podcast. I didn't call it a podcast at the time. It was almost it was in the early two thousands, three years, and I interviewed lots of people. Uh, I interviewed quantum physicists. I interviewed people who are studying reincarnation. All of that. Uh, I told you about the people from the ARE, the uh, Casey's, uh, a nonprofit in Virginia Beach. Well, I interviewed a skeptic who tried to argue with me about these things, and they have no argument. The only argument is it's proven science. It's bullshit. Mm -hmm. It's what it is. And, but they believe it. I think they, you know, that guy actually believed he was right, but yeah. he was so wrong, and all the evidence. You know, they just don't accept it. Yeah, yeah. And it's, but it's as you rightly said before, they're locked inside their belief structures. And once you're locked inside that, that closed mind, the ego makes it very hard for you to get out of it. You know, yeah. I always say to people, the first step that you need to take in, in anything is to develop an open mind. Develop an open mind, a mind where you can say to yourself, okay, well, you know, maybe this is true, you know, maybe this is sort of like theory, you know, maybe this is a possibility. And just by doing that, you can open your mind and not, not feel fear with other people's opinions and beliefs about things. That's the problem, isn't it? Other people's beliefs and opinions are creating, uh, making the mind shut down into a sense of absolute panic and fear. Yeah, I, uh, I wrote a book not long ago, I think it was last spring, called Let Go of Your Ego. Uh, let go of your ego, but let go of your ego. And the main point of that book that I was trying to get across is you are not your ego. Mm -hmm. You are not your ego, and you don't have to pay attention to your ego. And that when that your ego can get you into one heck of a lot of trouble. And what you need to do is whenever you react to something, if something, you know, just causes you to, to it triggers you, you need to stop. And there's a moment between uh, 
the trigger and your reaction to it that you can stop and think, why have I been triggered by whatever it is? And go back to, was it because you're locked in a closet when you were two years old? I mean, what caused you to react to that? Because you don't have to react. You are not your ego. You are your consciousness that can actually metaphorically step outside of yourself and watch what's going on. And if you will start to relate to that instead of what your ego is trying to get you to do, uh, you'll be a whole lot better off and you'll have a much better life. And you'll be able to accomplish things that you would never be able to accomplish as long as you're letting your ego drive you. Yes, exactly. So when you unpick the ego, you create a more uh, unlimited life for yourself. But in fact, this is this is exactly what my first book is all about. Um, you know, it's all about this, the mind and consciousness and, you know, and the brain, the brain being a receiver of information from consciousness rather than a generator of information, all of this, which I think, I think it, it allows um, people to understand it, if you, it, for me, I see it as the science behind spirituality. It takes all the mysticism and fear away and replaces it with a, a more scientific or evidenced way of looking at things. Yeah, well, that's absolutely what I believe and, and what a number of my books uh, are, uh, are about and contain is information that sci- <laughs> developed by scientists, you know, I, I live in Virginia, and I'm not far from the University of Virginia, where they have a unit called the uh, Division of Perceptual Studies that has been studying near-death experiences and, and uh, past life remember, uh, memories of children uh, and other forms of uh, information that tells you that the brain does not create consciousness, it's a receiver. They've been studying that in that formal setting since 1967, and they have over 2,500 cases of children who remember past lives, and they have what is called solved 1,700 of them, where they found the person the child was referring to based on their occupation, name, relatives, place where they lived, and so on. So, I mean, it's, and that, it's amazing to me that they have all that information at the University of Virginia, 60 miles up the road, and I've never seen anything about it in the mainstream media. I know. I know. It's incredible, isn't it? And that's, I can really understand people who believe that there is a negative agenda to stop us waking up this information. I really can. And when you track back down this rabbit hole, I really think that the only people who have something to gain from you know, us not, not waking up to this are people who have created this agenda. And you look at, well, who's created this agenda? Well, they must be people who've been around on this planet for for a very long time. And they know what we used to be. They know how advanced we used to be. They also must be people who really benefit from us not living happy, more unlimited lives. And then, you know, you start to look at, well, you know, the corporations, the banks, the pharmaceuticals, you know, all the ones who are making the huge amounts of money, they're the ones who are creating the materialistic world that they are benefiting from financially so much. Just look at the fossil fuel industry. That should have gone decades ago. And and it could have gone decades ago if Nikola Tesla's work had been 
taken and and built upon from that point. Um, and that was, you know, what, 80 years ago or something. So it, it, instead of being suppressed, that information, if that had been built upon, I believe that we would have had free energy by now. But the fossil fuel industry has, you know, they don't want to lose their income. So right. they suppress and sit on this information. But who has the power to sit on information? Well, it has to be one of the three-letter organizations. And then you ask yourself, well, who runs the three-letter organizations? And you, when you look at this, you realize that there has to be some sort of agenda behind this. It can't just be a whole load of people who are just running around chaotically, you know, there has to be some agenda behind this. And I think if you follow the money, you will find that there is an agenda behind this. I just hope very much that in my lifetime, enough people will wake up and start asking questions and stop believing everything that they're being told by other people who have an agenda behind it. Well, I hope you're right, Elizabeth. Uh, I hope that, and I think it will happen. I think that this that the internet has opened up uh, the information pathway for all of that to happen. And what we're doing right now is hopefully we'll contribute to that. So, yeah, I hope so. I really hope so. Okay, well, I'm conscious we've been actually talking for an hour. Can you believe? Um, that <laughs> yeah, was well, such yeah, an yeah. enjoyable conversation. <laughs> yeah. That was such an enjoyable conversation, you know, and maybe we can do this again sometime with another set of questions. But um, I think for now, that's probably enough for today. Okay. Um, I just wanted to end by asking you, how can people get in touch with you? Obviously, I'll put all the links in the notes. Um how can they get in touch with you if they want to have a book published, you know, if they want to work with you as an editor, if they uh, want to interview, interview, interview for, your, for their own podcast, or maybe um, they want to buy your books? How do they do this? The best way, easiest way is to simply go to my website, which uh, is easy to remember. It's shmartin, S-H-M-A-R-T-I-N dot com. And uh, you can get in touch with me by using the contact form on that uh, website. I get uh, emails from people all the time. I always answer them. And uh, my books are listed on the website. One, uh, there are a couple of categories, the uh, uh, fiction and nonfiction and business books. And uh, you'll find that in the menu. And so, yeah, come to my website, shmartin.com. And uh Give me, you know, send me an email. I have a good friend now who lives in France. He's a Brit, but he lives in southern France, and we communicate all the time. And that's how he originally got in touch with me after reading one of my books. So, and I actually published one of his books. So, uh, it's it's a good way to to you know make friends. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, well, thank you very much. And um, I look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. I've enjoyed talking. Yeah. <laughs> Likewise. Thanks. Bye. Bye.